words have meaning, not just a definition, but they have a meaning that can cut to the fabric of our soul. They can be used to build, they can be used to destroy. Think of these words and how they make you feel. I love you. I hate you. I believe in you. I don't trust you. There have been countless examples of the power of words throughout history, but in my mind, one of the most powerful was in New Hampshire on the 8th of January 2008. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were battling to be nominated as the Democratic Party's presidential candidate. Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire, but Barack Obama's speech had all the hallmarks of victory and was the platform for his successful nomination for the Democratic Party and ultimately his election as President of the United States of America. His creed in that speech echoed around the world. Yes, we can. It was whispered by slaves and abolitionists as they blazed a trail towards freedom through the darkest of nights. Yes, we can. It was sung by immigrants as they struck out from distant shores and pioneers who pushed westward against an unforgiving wilderness. Yes, we can. It was the call of workers who organized, women who reached for the ballot, a president who chose the moon as our new frontier, and a king who took us to the mountaintop and pointed the way to the promised land. Yes, we can to justice and equality. Yes, we can to opportunity and prosperity. Yes, we can heal this nation. Yes, we can repair this world. Yes, we can. When we think about chasing our goals, there are many words that people use to provide guidance. Words like perseverance, commitment, courage, work ethic, belief, and determination. But how do these words help shape our future to ensure that we have the best chance of success? Words without meaning are meaningless. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to spend some time on just one word. Each episode is going to be invested into exploring one word and the importance it has on our journey in life and in chasing our goals. Words have meaning, and I think if we are going to use them, we need to understand them. Not their definition, but their meaning, their true meaning. Sacrifice. What does it mean? We hear of people who sacrifice their lives for another. But what does that mean in the context of achieving our purpose in life? Not the ultimate sacrifice, but the ongoing and unrelenting sacrifice that greatness requires. Earlier this week, I received some documents from my brother. They were ancestry documents relating to family on my father's side. As I began to read through them, I was taken back to read of the death of my great-grandfather, John Taylor, in 1918. The first thing that struck me was that he died on my son, Jira Taylor's birthday on 19 February. I don't know why that had such an impact, but it felt like someone threw cold water in my face when I saw it for the first time. I wasn't expecting it. Another thing that surprised me was how old he was when he died. 
He was 30 years old. When I was younger, I was told that my grandfather was young when he lost his father, but I never really contemplated what that actually meant until I saw his age on the death certificate. Then there was how he died. My great-grandfather was a coal miner in Hamilton, Scotland. At age 21, he married Margaret McGlynn in 1908. My grandfather worked in the Bent Colliery, which was an underground coal mine in the Hamilton Parish of Scotland. The Bent Colliery had about 350 men and boys working underground. The conditions and the wages were tough. And when I say boys, that's exactly what I mean. In fact, there was a law passed in 1887 referred to as the Coal Mine Regulation Act. It says, it shall not be lawful for any owner or any mine or colliery to employ any male person under the age of 10 years within any mine or colliery. Think about that for a minute. Passing a law to restrict someone under the age of 10 to work in a mine meant that there were children younger than 10 working in mines before that law passed. Children, seven, eight, and nine working in underground coal mines. Unbelievable. It was while working underground in the Bent Colliery where my great-grandfather would receive the horrific injuries that would ultimately kill him. After finding out about this, I sat down with my father, also named John Taylor, and asked him what he knew about it. There was a big machine, and it, it, it actually cut into the coal. There were very unreliable things in those days, very unreliable. But um, apparently what had happened was that the machine, instead of actually cutting the coal, it hit a piece of coal, and, and instead of cutting it, it bounced back and trapped him. And, it, well, it basically it killed him, but not on the spot. He was taken to the Royal Infirmary, where he did die of his injuries. And... Um, that was a tragic time. It was a tragic thing to happen at that time because my grandmother, who I didn't know very well, but she was left then with seven kids uh, with no income. And in those days, they had a thing called the parish. It was a horrible thing where people had actually to go and beg for food. And, uh, you know, women had to, basically, and most of the time it was the ladies, the women of the, the families had to go and stand in a queue and beg for food. And they were interviewed by a bunch of guys who really didn't know their circumstances. And my father, it was called the parish, and my father hated it. And I didn't really know what the parish was, but I can remember my father talking about with, with, with hatred in his voice. He said, I hated that parish because his mother had to go and beg for food there. My great-grandfather's death was recorded in the Hamilton Advertiser on the 23rd of February, 1918. It read, Fatal Accident at Bent Colliery. On Monday afternoon, John Taylor, machine man, residing at Edelwood House, met with an incident which terminated fatally the next day. While at work in number three pit, Bent Colliery, along with a neighbour, he had been employed at an electric-driven coal-cutting machine when it is said that the machine kicked, jamming Taylor against the coal face. He was taken to the surface and after being attended to by Dr. Steele was removed to the Royal Infirmary where he died on Tuesday afternoon. His right leg was broken and he also sustained internal injuries. He leaves a widow and family. My great-grandfather left Margaret widowed with a young family. 
my grandfather, Thomas Taylor, was the second eldest child and eldest son and was only seven when his father died. At age 14, Thomas Taylor left school to go and work in the Bent Colliery. As the eldest son, it was now his responsibility to provide for his family. He was um, seven years of age when my grandfather was killed in the mines. And um, being the eldest, he had to, even at that young age, had to go out and help to, to um, get food to feed them. My father was one of the greatest men I've ever met. He was an absolutely fabulous father. But, you know, in his life, when he very, very rarely told me the story um, about his life, he, because he had so many siblings, there was no income coming into that family. There was no social services. There was absolutely nothing that we've got today. There was no benefits of any description. And if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. And if you didn't have a man in your house, you didn't get, you, there was no income coming in. My father was the man of the house. At 14 years of age, he was responsible. How can you, how can you even imagine that? And I think that's what made him such an incredibly great father. He had to go out and work to feed the family. And I, I, I know, and my mother used to tell me, because obviously he told her the stories rather than me. And he used to go out and, it, it, to work when it was dark. He would leave the house when it was dark. And he'd come back home when it was dark. And the mine that he worked in was pitch black. Can you imagine? Just, just, just imagine a life like that. You get up out of your bed and it's dark and you go to work and it's dark and you come home and it's dark. Your whole life is just dark. My mum recounted a story that my granddad shared with her when my mum was raising five children in Scotland. It painted a very human and painful truth of my granddad's life. My father-in-law, Thomas Taylor, his wife, Mary, was in hospital, but at that time, we lived quite a distance away from them and even further away from the hospital. We had five young children and your dad worked as a policeman doing back shift and night shift and we had no car, so we couldn't get to visit them. And it played in my mind for some time that I couldn't get to visit um, your grandmother in hospital. And I went to phone, I phoned um, your grandfather, Thomas Taylor, to explain to him why I couldn't visit. And I think I was quite emotional about the work with five children under five and how much of a toll it was. And then he said to me, he said, of course I know what it's like. I've been there. And I thought, well, they've only had two children, so how can he have been there? But the story was that when his father died, when he was seven, there were actually seven or eight children in the family. So he, was, he had six children at least under him. And when he was 14, he had to go to the down the pit to work to actually raise enough money to support the family because there was no welfare system in that time. There was no social security. But when he came back from work, his mother was either depressed or she wasn't coping well at all. And the children would be roaming the streets. And after a hard day in the pit, he would run around the streets trying to pick up all the children. And some of them were asleep. And he then had to take those children home and bath them and feed them and care for them after a big long day in the pit. Think about a 14-year-old boy today. Could you imagine them working hundreds of metres underground every day? No school, no life other than working and caring for your family. The first job that most young boys had in the mines was pony driving. 
boys would normally work ponies in their first two years before moving on to heavier work. Pony drivers were also responsible for maintaining the underground stables, feeding and grooming the ponies, and looking after their general welfare. My granddad was one of these pony drivers. It was during this time that he was trapped in a mine for three days. The mine shaft he was working on collapsed and he was trapped. His pony was so severely injured that at some point during the three days, he had to kill his pony. This man, he gave up everything he had, everything. He never had an education. He elected not to go to school because he had a family to serve and a family to feed. And the sacrifice of a 14-year-old kid going down the mines into complete darkness. And it was, I mean, I've been down the mine and it was one of the most horrible experiences I've ever had in my life. I would never do it again. I could never do it again. It's claustrophobic. You, you know, you're lying on your belly, um, howking coal and with, with, with nowhere else to go. I mean, if that thing collapsed, actually, a mine did collapse on my father at one time and he was, he was um, trapped down this mine for, I think it was three days with a pony, with a pit pony. and. My dad had to kill that pony. What must have gone through his mind to do something like that for such an incredible man was, was unthinkable. It just, he would never do that sort of thing. The, the pony was in agony. It had been severely injured in the fall. And he was trapped down there for two, two I think it was two or three days until they finally dug him out. But the pony was, the pony was in complete agony. And of course, my dad had to kill it. He never told me. In fact, he never told me the story. It was my mother that told me that story. My father, in a lot of ways, was a lot, he kept a lot of things to himself. He, he just didn't want to burden his son with the stuff that he had to go through. And I think that was, that was, what, that was my father's character. He was just one of these people that if it was bad, he kept it to himself. If it was good, he shared you with it. Could you imagine? My granddad never went into detail about killing the pony. I don't think it was something he ever wanted to remember. I wonder what my granddad would have thought about in those three days. Would he have thought about his father dying in the same mine? That his fate would be the same? After three days, he was extracted from the mine. Despite this, my granddad returned back to the mine to ensure his family was cared for. Amazing courage, commitment, and sacrifice. It takes sacrifice to achieve your purpose in life. For my granddad, it was to provide for his family. He was seven when his father died, and there was no, they didn't get um, money for being a, a widow or anything like that. It was all doled out by what was called the parish. And he remembers having to front up to uh, a board of old men, as he said, maybe three or four men who were on the council. And they would size up the kids and look at them and decide whether they were worthy of getting new clothes or new shoes or even food. And that experience left him determined that he would be a great provider for his family. And that's what he was. Even at a very young age, he understood for his family to survive, he would need to give up his schooling, his childhood, fresh air and sunlight. For athletes, their sacrifices are not the same as that of my granddad's, but it is the same principle. It is about surrendering parts of your life to benefit another part of your life. Many professional athletes recount having to sacrifice relationships, money, and time 
they would have to sacrifice physically, emotionally, and mentally. Considering the personal nature of this podcast, I wanted to ask Jaira, who was born on the same date of my great-grandfather's death. He is also a great example of sacrificing things in his life to achieve his goals. Jaira plays for the Brisbane Roar Academy. He is a gold medal Australian and Queensland sprinter. He left his family and now attends Nudgee College as a boarder in pursuit of his dreams. He trains morning and night and sacrifices the joys of being a teenager for what he sees as his purpose in life. I asked Jaira to describe a typical day with Nudgee College and the Brisbane Roar Academy. Probably be up at 4.45, but that's also after coming home late and having to do stuff like watch football games and do video analysis. After a morning session, our training would start about 5.15, finish 7.30. Then I would start school at 8.20. Normally it's a bit of a rush to get from training to school. And then straight off to school, I have to rush up to the boarding dorms and get changed so I can get picked up straight off Sandgate Road to go down to Logan to train there for Brisbane Raw. And I would go from 4.30 to 6.30. Then I'll come home, be late for dinner. It takes about 40 minutes, one trip from Nudgee to Logan. So I get home about 7.30 and I have dinner and then do more video analysis and then go to sleep. Does Jaira think he is missing out on anything? Not missing out, but replacing a lot. Basically having a social life. All the time I hear like my friends and everyone talking about how fun things are and how, like on the weekend how good the party was. Like I've never been to a party, so, and so you sort of don't have that. But I know it's for a good cause. When I think about the sacrifice that my great-grandfather and his father made, it makes me really grateful about how their sacrifices have created opportunities for my family and so many people. And hopefully, maybe one day, I'll end up back in Scotland playing for Celtic. I asked Jaira what advice he would give someone trying to achieve their purpose in life. Like what my granddad has told me for a while, is that instant gratification means nothing and sacrifices at the end of the day always pay off. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Future Champions podcast on sacrifice. I would like to thank my brother Michael Taylor and nephew Joshua Taylor for helping me research this episode. This has been a Future Champions podcast by Intense Sport. Thanks for listening.